Isn't that awesome, the work of Bernardo's? Hey, good evening, folks. Uh, Bernardo's started with one kid one day turning up at a doctor's house, Dr. Bernardo's house. And on that particular evening, he turned up, he was destitute, he had nowhere to go. And Dr. Bernardo asked, uh, son, what are you doing here? What can I do for you? Why don't you just go home? He said, I have no home. So Dr. Bernardo took him in and he said, have you got any other friends like this? He said, there's lots of us, Gov. And he took him and showed him all his mates who lived in the, ho- in, in the streets and in, in destitute situations. And one man made a difference and has started an organization now that's making a huge difference around the world. Poverty is a huge issue in our world. And uh, God feels incredibly strongly about this whole subject of poverty. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight, the poor. We've been going through the book of uh, Proverbs on Sunday nights. We've been looking at uh, some of the, the gems from the book of Proverbs. And tonight, as you're going to find, is the book of Proverbs has an awful lot to say about this whole subject of the poor and the needy. Okay, let's, so let's pray, and then we're going to get to work in the Bible. God, you're an amazing, generous, loving Father. And God, we're in a world that's full of suffering and poverty. And I know, God, you love your concerns, you feel the pain multiple times more than any one of us could. And I know it's your agenda that through your people, we do our best to eradicate poverty and rescue people from devastation. God, I pray by your spirit tonight, help us to hear your heart. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a a missionary, he went to some... African tribal area in the middle of nowhere. And he was going with the agenda to help these poor tribesmen. So he arrived as a missionary ready. It was his first missionary trip, so he was so excited. He arrived in the middle of this rainforest in this little tribe's area. And there was this tribe had gathered. So he stands up in front of the tribe and says, God loves you. And they all shouted, Bawana. He thought, that was good. Good response. So he said, uh, you can give your life to God. And everyone shouted even louder, Bawana! This is going really well for my first missionary trip. This is going well. So he said, you can get baptized and become believers in Jesus. And they all shouted, Bawana! And he said, you can give tithes and offerings and we will feed and clothe you. They all shouted, Bawana! So he thought, this is fantastic. This isn't that hard to be a missionary. Wow, so he went to the, after this first successful village, he decided, I'm going to move on to the next village. So he goes to the, to, to the chief uh, of, the, of the tribe and said, I want to go to the next poor tribal village to help the poor tribesmen. And they said, oh, that's fine. It's, you just go a thousand steps down this lane here, and then you will cross over an old wall. As you cross over the old wall, you will go through a field of bulls. When you're going through the field of bulls, run as fast as you can and make sure whatever happens, don't step in the bawana. <laughs> but truly, God does want us to be people who do everything we can to help the plight of fellow human beings. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. I don't know if you remember, a while back there was a, a breakfast program. Uh, none of you would have been up in time. That's why you all come to the evening service, not the morning service. 
This was a breakfast TV program called Rice. Who remembers Rice? Okay, see, none of you were up in Simon, that's what I'm saying. And uh, it was a kind of trendy breakfast program, and they did different interviews and things. And one of the things they did was they, just for a laugh, they decided that as a program they would adopt something. So they gave the viewers the option to adopt a dog, adopt a panda, or adopt a needy child. And the voting went on, and the public voted 48% for the dog, 6% for the panda, and 46% for the child. So, some of you will be really chuffed, but the dog won. That's tragic. That's tragic. To be honest, I love pandas and dogs. They're lovely, fluffy things. But when it comes to human life versus a fluffy panda or a dog, in the sight of God, we were created in the image of God. And I believe that every human life is precious and vital in the sight of God. And we've got to grasp God's heart for humanity. God is incredibly moved for humanity. And we should be too. I remember, I'm 32 now, when I was 15, that's when I became a Christian. I, I said yes to Jesus. Things started making sense. But I was by no means the finished article. I had so many rough edges. Just after becoming a Christian, me and my mate Brian went into Glasgow that day to do a bit of shopping. And as we were going around um, kind of city centre Glasgow, there was this homeless guy who was in a wheelchair. And he was in a bit of a predicament. He had arthritic arms. Obviously, that's not the best if you want to get around in, in a wheelchair. I mean, he absolutely reeked. Uh, he, was, he, he obviously peed himself. He was stinking of urine. And uh, he looked really rough. And my mate Brian, who'd also recently committed his life to Christ, he decided, well, we're going to look after this guy today. I didn't volunteer for that, but Brian volunteered for it. So he said, right, I'm going to take him for lunch. So he took this guy in a wheelchair for lunch. And to be honest, I didn't want to be seen dead with the guy. So I was walking about two paces behind them, pretending I didn't know them. I was thinking, what if one of my mates at school sees me with this homeless guy who stinks of pee? So they took, Brian took him to, out for lunch, and I sat there kind of awkwardly through lunch, after lunch, I thought, right, we've done that. Whew. Let's just get on with the day shopping. Say goodbye to the guy, Brian. But Brian proceeded to spend the entire afternoon with this homeless guy who stunk of pee. And I was like, I, I felt really, really awkward. I just kind of hung around, honestly thinking, what if one of my mates sees me with this guy? Anyway, I got home that night. I had been to the Billy Graham Crusades in 1991. And at that crusade, I'd been given a little pamphlet which gave me Bible, daily Bible reading notes. So on that particular day, I got home, picked up that day's reading, and it was Luke 16. And I turned to Luke 16, and in Luke 16, I read the account about Lazarus and the rich man. Here's a summary of the account. Lazarus was a poor man. He had nothing. He was destitute. He smelled. He reeked. He had scars and scabs all over him. He had sores all over his body, the Bible says, and he used to beg and sit at the gate of a rich man. The rich man lived in luxury every day. The rich man dogs would come and lick the sores of Lazarus, but Lazarus never got any food from the rich man. The story went on in the Bible, and Jesus said that they both died, and Lazarus went to heaven, and the rich man went to hell. 
And then I finished my Bible reading for the day. And I thought, maybe God was trying to tell me something. And you know what? It was like, the Bible describes itself like a sword. Like a double-edged sword. Piercing and analyzing your motives. And the Bible, like a sword, came right into my heart. And God wiggled it around a bit. And I felt utterly horrendous. I was a pride-filled, arrogant, stupid teenager, full of myself, thinking that I was more important than the precious guy in the wheelchair who stunk a pee. I was a nobody. I was an ignorant, unrighteous, filthy, deserving of hell human being who treated other human beings with disdain. And in that moment, I despised myself. I saw myself through the eyes of God. And I got on my knees and I said, God, forgive me. Never again will I treat another human being in a second class way. Because the Bible says that every human being was created in the image of God. Do you know what? I don't care what you smell of. I'll hug you. I'll love you. I'll do stuff for you. God is looking for his body, his people to care for human beings. That, that was a mo- an important moment in my life. And since then, God's given me, I haven't got it always right, but God's given me a heart for the poor and the needy. God wants us to have the heart for the poor and the needy. Not just, oh, well, that's the folks like that in church. Some of them do that. That's their project. That's the initiatives. No, 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 no. We're the body of Christ. As Andrew sang earlier, we've got a responsibility to bring hope to other human beings, to bring change, to be God's instrument of his expression of love to other human beings. Absolutely. You have a responsibility before God to care for those who are less fortunate. You have a responsibility before God, as do I, to see every human being as equal in the sight of God, created in his image, deserving of love and adoration. The poor is a big challenge. It's an historic challenge, to be honest. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he made this statement in Mark 14, 7. He said, the poor you will always have with you. In other words, in every generation, you will never ultimately totally eradicate poverty. Why? Because as long as human beings are on this planet, injustice will be here. As long as human beings are on this planet, there will be suffering, sickness, and disasters. Because human beings are a mess. The problem's in here. Not with the politicians, not with anyone else, but right here. And that's exactly why Jesus came to deal with that problem. To deal with the issues of the heart, sin. But this problem of of global poverty will always be there. Nevertheless, that is not our excuse to accept it. When Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, I believe that's a challenge. I believe it's a challenge to every generation as far as always is concerned. Every generation has a responsibility before God to do something for the poor of their generation. You think, man, Peter, the need is too big. The, 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 the challenge is too big. The, it's, it's, what could I do? What on earth could I do to in any way make a dent on the scale of the, 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 the problem of poverty? And there was a story of a, uh, a famous author who was out for a walk one day outside the sea. On this particular beach, thousands upon thousands, I mean hundreds of thousands of starfish had been washed up on the shore. And there was this little kid grabbing starfish and throwing them back into the sea. And the author came along and, and said to the kid, <laughs> mate, listen, I don't want to give you, don't want to make you disillusioned, but to be honest, there are hundreds of thousands of starfish all over this 
beach here. And uh, do you honestly think you're going to make a difference? And the kid picked up one of the starfish and he said, I will to this one. And he threw it back into the sea. And that's where you've got to start. You, you have an opportunity and a responsibility before God to say, well, God, maybe I can't change global poverty. But I'm going to start with this one. And then this one. And then this one. And I will do whatever I can with the strength you've given me, with the love you've put in my heart, with the conviction that I have to make a difference in the life of a fellow human being. Jesus talks about the end of the world and talks about the moments when we will stand before him, every one of us, to be judged. And that will happen. Every one of you and myself will stand before God at the end of time and be judged for our lives. And here's one of the ways he describes that judgment. And it's very vivid. And it's described in Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. And it says, Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, that whatever you did to the least of, of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. That's a profound thought, that God will actually take personally as if you were doing it for him. As you serve another human being, you literally bless the heart of your heavenly father. As you express love to a fellow human being, you are literally offering an act of worship to God. As you go out of your way to show tenderness and practically meet the needs of a fellow human being, you are honoring your God in whose image that human being was made. That's an awesome thought. So go and worship the Lord this week. You go and praise him. You go and give him great offerings of worship by loving fellow human beings. And it will bless the very heart of God. The moment you show tenderness, the moment you show concern. And here's the challenge. Many of us are so caught up in our own worlds, we don't see the worlds of others around us. And actually, that makes your world seem all the worse. So get over your world. Look beyond your world. See the world of others. And start to meet their needs. And before long, you will discover your needs aren't actually that big. And actually, you'll find you're healed as you go. Globally, poverty is a a problem. Historically, it's a challenge. And Jesus said, I I really believe that God expects every generation to do what they can do in their generation, one life at a time. But globally, the scale of poverty is huge. Today, 50%, that's 3 billion people of the world, 50% of the world's population live in less than £1.20 a day. More than 1.2 billion people earn less than 60 pence a day. 20% of the population in developed nations consume 80% of the world's goods. 852 million people are hungry. Every day, 16,000 die from hunger. And one child dies every five seconds. Every year, nearly 11 million children die 
before they reach their fifth birthday. That's not necessary. Oxfam recently stated that to end poverty in the whole world, it would require $300 billion a year. It sounds like a lot of money. It's actually one-tenth of the cost of the Iraq war. It makes things actually accessible. It is possible. If the movers and the shakers had the heart of justice that God would want them to have, it is actually possible. Completely. You see, God wouldn't put us in a world that couldn't sustain its population. God wouldn't put the human race in the world and say, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill this earth. If, if, if he had created a world that would run out of resources by the time we reached the first billion. No, no. There's always been poverty. I mean, even when the population was in the millions rather than the billions, there, there was poverty then. And you're not going to tell me the world's resources were sparse. It, it's to do with distribution. It's to do with injustice. And we looked at that the last few weeks ago. It's to do with injustice. It's to do with a sinful inclination in the heart of mankind to, to greet, to think of self rather than others. And this is where to deal with the problem, we need to deal with us. And then we become part of the answer. The Bible says in Proverbs 14:31, he who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. As I said earlier, your love and concern for the needy is an act of worship that God takes personally. Proverbs 17, verse 5 says, He who mocks the poor taunts his maker, and he rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. We're good friends with an organization called Joint Aid Management. Peter Petorius, who heads up that organization, is a phenomenal man, him and his wife Anne. Many of you know them. They come and speak on a regular basis. We're hoping to have them back again, speaking with us in October. Sorry, in November. A real man of faith, he wants to make a difference. Just now, through their organization, they're feeding, clothing, and educating um, 479,935 children a day. They do this through uh, school feeding programs. So what it also does is if the kids want food, so they have to go to the school. And the food in their bellies helps them to concentrate at the school so they can get the education. And the education will help prepare them to beat the cycle of poverty so that they prepare a generation to reduce the problem in the next generation. So they're doing a lot of stuff. They're putting lots of research and time into the type of food they're feeding the kids so that the food that they're giving to the kids is actually providing a huge percentage of the recommended daily allowances of vitamins and minerals and things that kids need for them to operate and be healthy and grow strong. They're doing a great job. Over the years, we've given tens of thousands of pounds from here in the church to, to make a difference. Uh, you know, I, I wish we could give more. I think last year we gave... 20 or 30,000 to them. We want to get more than that. Um, recently, they sent an email to me and talking about some of the challenges they're facing. And they were saying that because of the escalation of the prices of oil around the world, it's had a knock-on effect on the price of everything. So you understand that uh, food prices have shot through the roof. According to the Financial Times, food prices have risen by over 60% in the past year. This has had a huge effect throughout the world, hitting especially the poorest of the poor. According to the UN Food and Agricultural Organization, the current food crisis is now worsening and is already a dire situation for the world's 850 million chronically hungry poor. 
Gordon Brown recently, in talks with the World Food Programme's executive director, said that the spiraling prices threatened to plunge millions of people back into poverty and to reverse the process of alleviating poverty in the developing world. According to the BBC, crude oil prices have increased by 138%, corn increased by 125%, and soya beans increased by 107%. We find the pinch hard here in our pretty affluent Western culture. But you understand we've got nothing. For you're one of those who earn less than £1.20 a day. Or furthermore, if you're one of those who earn less than 60 pence a day, you understand that those kind of figures just, just spell doom for you and your family. So we can't ignore the plight of the poor. And do you know what? If God is giving you political passions and you've got an ability in certain areas then you've got to go and fight your way to the top. You've got to go and become the movers and the shakers. Some of you, you ought to go on and become great politicians. I'm serious. Some of you ought to go and take up posts in organizations that can actually do things about this sort of stuff. Some of you ought to work your way up and become the people who sell the oil. (laughs) Find an oil field somewhere, right? Go digging. If if, if you control it, you you can make a big difference. Seriously, because it's greed that's making the, the inflation happen. It's greed. It doesn't have to be that expensive. It's just it's self-perpetuated. It's one person puts the price up, and then everyone else thinks, oh, it's, an, it's an excuse. We can blame it on him. We'll put our price up and blame it on the oil. It's a fact. So become the movers and the shakers. Some of you, you ought to seriously think big about your future. Not just, but Peter, I don't want to be ambitious. I want to be humble. Well, sure. But maybe if God's put passions and desires in you, don't think ambition. Think, God, I want to make a big difference. That's the right kind of ambition. And go make a difference. It's not for all of you, but for some of you here, maybe two or three of you in this room, you've got to work your way high in the ranks of organizations and places where you can actually make a difference. Some of you are writers. Well, use your influence. Write about it. Some of you work on the web. Use your influence. Some of you are financiers. Some of you have the potential to start businesses that can earn serious cash, then you go and earn as much cash as you can and give it to the places that are going to make the difference. Make a difference. Jam, Joint Aid Management. Recently, Andrew Owen, who's one of the directors of Joint Aid Management, he and Peter Petorius, this is the organization I was telling you about a moment ago, they went to see a wealthy businessman in Scotland uh, just about two months ago, and they talked about the inflating prices and the, the devastating effect it's having on the poor and the needy. And this businessman wrote a check for a million pounds and gave it to Jam on the spot. Would it be great to be that businessman? Wouldn't it be great to say, all right, here, have two. And while you're at it, Destiny Church, you need to refurbish a building. There's a bit of money as well. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Whoa, what a life that would be. Yes. Why not you go and earn that cash and you go give it away? That's Christianity. It really is. That's globally. Locally, there is huge need. Locally, one of the biggest issues is the rich-poor divide. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And there are cycles in place in culture that are very hard to break. The cycle of poverty is incredibly hard to break. Because it's not just cash in hand, it's a mindset. It's not just lack of money in the bank, that's not the issue. It's a mindset, it's a, it's a way of thinking, it's an approach to life that kids inherit from parents and then pass on to their kids. It's a fact. 
and it breaks our hearts. My wife's a teacher. In her class that she often works in, she's seeing the spiral, the, the cycle of poverty being perpetuated generation to generation. And her heart breaks for some of the kids. She longs to adopt some of them. Just because simply that these kids are not being given a fair chance by their parents. And maybe it was because their grandparents didn't give their parents a fair chance. And so the cycle continues and poverty worsens. And the circumstances that cause poverty, for example, crime and divorce and so on, has a knock-on effect to the generation that comes. Mahatma Gandhi, when he arrived in London for his first visit to the United Kingdom, he was asked um, what he thought of Western civilization. And his answer was, I think that would be a very good idea. Uh, Britain has the worst record in the world for family breakdown and boasts the highest level of divorce and lone parenting in Europe. Around one in three British children will experience divorce or separation before the age of 16. One in six babies are now born into a home with no father. And you know what? Many of you have gone through that. Some of you have been the children in the divorced family. Some of you have been the parents who've had the divorce. It, it does perpetuate a cycle of pain. And you know what our, our desire as a church is? It's not to say, oh, woe is us. Our desire is this. I honestly believe, I really believe this. That churches operating in culture and doing church well can literally change the statistics. That we can see as the thousands start coming to faith, as the thousands start attending the churches, and we will see that, then what will happen is not only do their souls get saved and they're excited about heaven, but actually it permeates through the whole life. They have a totally different attitude towards marriage and parenting. And some of you who have been divorced think, man, if only I'd got things right with God years ago, we'd never have been in this situation. Or you understand this, there's a whole lot of things that perpetuate and if, if we could only get God involved. And do you know what? It's not that we have a perfect record in here. You know, many of you are suffering currently pain, but here's the truth. Here is the truth. Statistically, you will rebound far quicker in-house rather than you will out-house. Statistically, as you're walking with God, your marriage, your family, your situation will be a hundred times better than it would have had you not been walking with God. And we're all on a journey. We ain't, got, we ain't arrived. We ain't got it all perfect or squeaky clean. We're all on this rough edge journey. But God's taking you to a good place. Just keep sticking with him. And allow us, let's be an influence in our city. Let's be salt. Salt does a number of things. Salt heals. Salt purifies. Salt preserves. In the days before they had fridges, they used to salt the meat so the meat wouldn't go off. For example, if you were on a long journey on a ship, you'd have meat that was salted and that preserve it from going off. You know what? Our effect as a church can preserve our city from going off. Honestly, really believe that. Think big. I'm going to ask uh, Jude. Jude's recently come on. Jude's just gone through Destiny College in the last year. Most of you will know this, but Jude's come on to do her second year intern with us here. And uh, she's, she's with us five days a week here on staff in the building here. And her remit is to spearhead a number of initiatives that will really make a felt difference in areas of poverty, local areas of, of need. And uh, I'm just going to invite Jude to come up and share some of the visions she's got and some of the aspects of ministry she's going to get involved with. Let's hear it for Jude. Thank you. 
Say, hey, Jude. Da 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 da. Go on. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Sorry, go on. Go on. Remember. Sorry. Oh, no, last time. Last time. Sorry. Hi, I'm Jude, and this year I'm going to be doing an internship here at church. Um, and there's a few things um, that we're going to see initiated this year to bless Edinburgh, um, bless people in this city, and to help those who are in need. The first area that we're going to work in is in the area of homelessness, just giving a hand to those that are on the streets or those who are at the risk of homelessness or who are struggling with issues surrounding homelessness. This year, we really want to see a ministry that acknowledges the humanity and worth of those who are dealing with issues of homelessness that ultimately um, will meet short-term needs and also long-term needs. So that'll be providing food for those that are sat on the street that are hungry, clothes for those that are cold, so socks and hats and gloves during the winter months, and ultimately providing shelter for those that don't have a home and community for the friendless. To start off with, we'll be starting small with street work, going out onto the streets with cups of tea and coffee and sandwiches, just chatting to people and providing friendship, showing that we acknowledge people's worth that so often get ignored and get isolated and lonely sat on the streets. But ultimately, why can't the church do something about the lack of affordable housing, providing shelters and providing flats for those that really need them? I really see a ministry that will work alongside what is already offered in the city. There are amazing things going on in this city for people that are dealing with issues of homelessness. So it'd be really great to see the church work alongside that. Um, I also see a ministry that will help people find answers to their questions, um, freedom from addiction, so setting up a 12-step program in the coming months, having training schemes for those that want to enter employment, so people finding new skills and new homes, new jobs, and ultimately entering strongly and firmly into the life God intended for them. Another area we want to sort of start working in this year and to see something initiated is the area of pregnancy crisis. Abortion rates are rising really rapidly in Edinburgh. Abortion rates are four times higher in areas of deprived deprivation. Um, so areas like Leith and areas like Gorgie. No one is really offering alternatives to the option of abortion. I see a ministry that's going to support women and couples dealing with issues of pregnancy crisis without judgment and in genuine love. I see a ministry that provides help for long-term needs of mothers and families. So that's providing friendship and practical help and positive alternatives for tough decisions. I see a ministry that will see abortion rates fall in Leith, Gorgie and Edinburgh um, because women and couples realise they have a choice, that they are loved and that there are real solutions. A big thing um, with abortion issues surrounding pregnancy is that people don't believe that they have the choice, that they think the only way out is to abort their child when really if there's a strong community that's willing to love them and accept them and support them, it'll make positive solutions an easier choice. And we just really want to be there to love people, to love couples, mothers and fathers and families who are going through these really tough decisions. 
a third area is to see Destiny Angels go to a new level. Destiny Angels has been running in Edinburgh since February of this year, and it's getting really, really exciting. We're seeing people come to Firth now and getting plugged into communities. Um, we're being invited into lives just to give it a lending hand. We've been sent out decorating, sent out befriending. We've been giving out food parcels and calls are rising and needs are rising. And there's a lot more needs out there. So continue to pray. Um, if you want to volunteer, continue to volunteer. And um, we especially need men who like to decorate. But the vision of Destiny Angels is to meet the needs of people in Edinburgh who have no one else to turn to. We aim to love the unloved, help the hurting, and offer hope to those in despair in Edinburgh. We also aim to provide practical and spiritual help so people can be empowered to meet the demands of their daily life. It's not causing people to be dependent on us, but it's just giving them that helping hand so that they can go on, they can break that isolation, they can break that fear, they can break that period of crisis and move on in life which is really exciting. We're at a really exciting stage with Destiny Angels. So if you're interested, please get in touch. Another area that we're going to see something initiated in is in the sex trade in Edinburgh. I really see a ministry, an active ministry, that reaches out to women and men working in Edinburgh's sex industry. So it's not waiting for people to come to us, but it's going to people um, and loving them and meeting them where they're at. So it's meeting people, whether they're on the street or in the brothels or in the clubs, I see relationships growing and founded on trust and genuine Christian love and compassion. So not judging people for whatever state of employment that they're in, whether they're currently working the streets, whether they are currently in prostitution or whether that's part of their past or whether they're moving away from it, whatever stage, I see people being accepted and loved regardless of their employment into the church and just freely introduced to their father, to God, so that people find physical, emotional and spiritual freedom, um, leaving the streets and the brothels and whatever else was tying them back in life and embracing the life God intended for them. The sex trade is everywhere. I mean, it's on our doorsteps. And so that's where we're going to start. So if you're interested in helping out, again, just let me know. Another thing that's going to happen this year is an initiative called Adopt a Community. Um, and this is simply, once a month, we'll go out onto the streets of Gorgie and onto the streets of Leith. We will litter pick, we will clean stairwells, and through that, build relationships and find further needs. Um, so through an adopter community, I see monthly street adoptions where streets and stairwells are cleaned, needs are found and met, and genuine long-lasting relationships are formed and built. Through this, I see people connected to the church and ultimately entering into the into a relationship with Christ. This is exciting because, again, we're going to people. And, yeah, we're starting with once a month. We're starting with a few streets that are around the church. But as the church grows, as we find more needs, this can grow to once a week. This can grow to even wider afield so that we are really blessing and touching this city and making a difference for people. And finally, another area that we're going to start working in this year is in the working with elderly people, elderly people that are often forgotten about and left behind by families and friends because of their age. But we know that God values clearly from the Bible people of older generations. Um, And with this, I see a ministry that offers community and acceptance instead of isolation and rejection that goes to where the older generation is, sharing the gospel through word and action, providing people with company, fun and love. 
So this is simply going to be going into homes, into residential homes and providing just a bit of entertainment, some songs, um, some quizzes, some friendship so that we earn the right ultimately to share the good news about Jesus. And that's what it's all about. It's all about loving people so that they can come to know God. So that's the hope for this year. If you're interested, there are sign-up sheets at the visitor's desk, or you can come and speak to me. I look forward to hearing from you. Wow. Let's hear it for Jude. Yay. God, we ask you, Father, that every one of those dreams will happen. We ask that, God, they will happen with scale. I pray, God, we would mobilize a congregation to impact the city, to care for the people, to change the statistics, to be the body of Christ in Edinburgh, to share and to demonstrate in Jesus' name. Great vision, Jude. Seriously, if you're moved by those things, or you know others who would be passionate about those things, Get your name down at the visitor's desk. Sign up to serve. It might be that you can only give a day a month. It might be you can give a week, you know, a bit of time. Sign up and uh, join a team. Get involved. and uh, Or chat to Jude at the end. See what you can do to get involved. It'll take a whole army of people. And this is not just something we're going to try out for six months. This is our commitment to the city. And we're here for the long haul in the city. A dream for the city. You see, it's all about credibility. We talked about authentic faith this morning at the 10 and 12 service. And do you know what? People are longing for authentic Christianity. They're just fed up with numpties or small-minded and hard nuts who are kind of Bible thumpers, who are shouting at others, who are aggressive, who are unteachable, kind of narrow-minded. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just not what Christianity is all about, and it puts people off Christianity. God's looking for people who are full of conviction, absolutely, but who are moved by their convictions to impact other people's lives and do something about the city. This is God's passion through us. Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen. Jeremiah speaks about a king from way back, and it says, talking about this king, he, that's Josiah, he, Josiah, defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? What an interesting verse. According to God's, this king called Josiah, who defended the cause of the poor and the needy, everything went well with him. And God says, is that not what it means to know me? You see, true relationship with God. You can't say, oh, I love God. I just hate people. You think, well, not really. That's not credible. That's inconsistent. Your love for God will translate into a love for people. If it doesn't, you don't love God. Seriously, you don't. You're kidding yourself on. That's not true Christianity. When Jesus was asked, well, what's the greatest thing, Jesus? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. In the same breath, he says, love God, then love others. Inseparable. In, in one of John's epistles, he said, if you say, I love God, but I hate my brother, he says, that can't be. How can you say you love the one you don't see when you can't even love the one you do see? Totally inconsistent. Inseparable. Your love for God and your relationship with him, if it's authentic, will overflow into a love for people. The poverty problem expresses itself in different ways. And people find themselves in poverty by different routes. Many people find themselves in poverty by simply being born in the wrong place at the wrong time. It is a fact that many people are living with the mistakes of nations 
or living with the oppression of other nations in their nation. And they would just happen to be born in that country. Here's a statistic I came across today that a child in the developing world is born with a debt baggage averaging $417. They're born with that. Now you might think, oh, that's not much money. No, no, you're forgetting that a huge percentage of our population are on less than 60p a day. That's a lot of money. So the average child born in the developing world is born with $417 of debt from the word go. Sub-Saharan Africa spends more money servicing its debts. That's over $200 billion. It spends more money on servicing the debts than it does on health and education. And boy, does it need health care and education. So what's gone down? Why does that all happen? Well, do you know what? Maybe it is bad government. Sometimes. But also sometimes it's bad governments who ruled them. Namely the United Kingdom. Maybe it's the influence of the West in some of these countries. As well as maybe bad dictators and so on that's gone on in the developing world. It's just naff. And some people are just born into that. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 17, sorry, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And that's the way our world goes. It's just a pure observation that tragically... It's not the people with the good heart that rule. Tragically, so often it's the people who have got the money and can pull the strings that rule. So, Christians, take responsibility. Become the people pulling the strings. Let's see some change. Some people are born in a poor place. Wrong time, wrong place. Some people are born into a negative poverty heritage. It's, it's because of the mistakes of their parents that they're living in a negative circumstance. Some people are poor by consequence of their own actions. Some people are poor simply because they've made some dumb mistakes in life. They just they hang out with the wrong crowd. They just took the wrong turn. They just went off the wall. They made a wrong decision. And today they're living in the consequence of the decision. And you know what? Some of you find this awkward. You, you know that God wants you to love people, but sometimes you see poverty around you And you think, well, to be honest, they're just living in the consequence of what they did themselves. They're just reaping what they sowed. They brought it on themselves. That's maybe what some of us think. And sometimes we think, well, you know, if we bail them out, they'll just end up in the situation they were at before simply because their issue is them. They just keep making dumb mistakes. So I'm not going to help them. Well, some of us have got to repent for a judgmental attitude. The fact is, You ain't walked in their shoes. There's always a story. Always a story. There's always a sequence of events. Every human being has got weakness. Every human being has got sin in their lives. Every human being is prone to weakness and making wrong decisions. Fact. Now you put your life in the wrong place at the wrong time. You might have been the one making the wrong decisions. Maybe you just had your carpet whipped from under your feet before you even got going in life. Maybe you were just born into a a duff family or lack of family. It's very hard to judge someone and say, well, they're just living in the consequences of their actions when you don't realize what was going on in their souls before them to make those actions in the first place. You see, before you criticize people, you've got to walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, 
you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. But seriously, I like that, that's quite funny. But seriously, you've got to have a merciful outlook in life. You've got to have a merciful outlook in life. We use this term mercy ministries. And the reason we use the term mercy ministries is because the whole concept of mercy is an awesome concept. You see, the concept of grace is that God gives to you that which you don't deserve. You know, God forgave me. He's given me heaven. Jesus died for me on the cross so I could be forgiven and go to heaven. I didn't deserve that. I didn't even ask him for it. But that's grace. God gave me what I didn't deserve. But mercy is different. Mercy is God withholding from us that which we did deserve. God, grace is God giving to us that which we didn't deserve. But mercy is God withholding from us that which we did deserve. I was a sinner. I did tons of stuff. I, I was a wretched individual deserving of hell, deserving of the judgment of God. Every human being is. But mercy says that God wants to not give us what we deserve. So in God's grace and in God's mercy, he sent Jesus. And Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross so that we in Christ could experience forgiveness. So Jesus got what I deserved, the punishment, and I got what he deserved, heaven. So you've got to accept that. That's the big offer. That's a big offer. And that's a freebie. It's called mercy. You didn't deserve it. You got it. And you see, if we understand mercy, then it's not going to be hard for us to express mercy to others. And we won't walk around saying, well, they're just getting what they deserved. Because if, if the same principle was applied to you and to me, then I'd be going to hell to be punished for my own sins when I die. I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm so good. Boy, not because I'm so good. I'm going to heaven because Jesus was punished on my behalf. And God in his mercy decided to rescue me. That's amazing. So therefore, who am I to withhold mercy from someone else? Who am I to say, well, you just deserve it? No, no, how could I? Because I've been forgiven. I've been shown love. I've got to extend mercy and love to others. Everyone ends up in consequence of their mistakes. But you must have a merciful outlook in life. What does God think about the poor? It says in Proverbs 19, verse 17, one who is gracious to the poor to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he, God, will repay him for his good deeds. The Bible says if you are gracious to a poor person, you are literally lending to the Lord, and God will repay you for your good deed. Again, that's what I said earlier. When you love the poor, when you touch the lives of the poor, God takes it personally. And when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Right, here's a true story. Absolutely legitimate. I'm just blown away by it. When I was a teenager, Timberlands were in. Right? Timberlands were cool. And I, I always wanted a pair of Timberlands. I couldn't afford it. A lot of my mates had Timberlands. I really wanted a pair of Timberlands. Anyway, eventually, I, was, I guess I was a student. I was 16, 17. In fact, I was 19. I just started going to Destiny Church in Glasgow. Got myself my first pair of Timberlands. I was really chuffed. Yeah, yeah, I got my Timberlands. See, you've got Bible, Jesus, and Timberlands. All you need for life. <laughs> I was wearing my pair of Timberlands. Went into the service. I'd just got them. I sat down at the service. I was sitting beside a guy. He stank of pee, right? They followed me around, okay? This is, okay? I'm like a fly, right? <laughs> I was sitting there beside this guy stinking of pee. Or maybe it was me. I don't know. There was a smell anyway. 
So there was me sitting there, and I, I, I was just, it was, it was middle of the service, and we were at the point where we were all praying, so I was sitting there like that, and looked down at his shoes. Man, his shoes were holy, right? And it's good to be holy in church, but not this kind of holy. His shoes were a mess, and I figured he had some stuff going on in his life. You know what I felt God say to me? I felt God say to me, give him your timblings. I thought, no. Okay. And I said, okay, God, I'll give him a timblings. At the end of the service, I said, hey, man, I would like to swap shoes with you. Do you want my shoes and I'll have yours? The guy must have thought, crazy fool. Okay. <laughs> so we swapped shoes, right? And I put his shoes on. I literally, I took them off, put them in, and I just walked out in my socks. But I gave him a timblings, right? Since then, I have been given four pairs of timblings. <laughs> Seriously. I've been given four pairs of timblings. I've always had, you, you should check my shoe rack at home. Pairs of timblings everywhere. It's like they're popping out the cupboards and, oh, there's another pair of timblings in my <laughs> kitchen cupboard. Didn't know they were there. And, timblings everywhere. Like, timblings, right? <laughs> I get folded in with guys that think of pee and timblings. Everywhere I go. Honestly, I've, I've been given four pairs of timblings. And they're not cheap shoes. They're about 100 quids, 120 quid a pair, right? I've been given four pairs. Honestly, that's awesome. So what I did was this. I gave to the poor. I didn't give to the poor guy because I thought, here's my way of getting more timblings. I didn't, I didn't give that way. But as I gave to the poor, the Bible says I lent to the Lord. And God personally saw to it that Peter would never be without timblings. And I believe I will always have timblings. <laughs> I do. I really do. And you might think, Peter, that's weird. Yeah, I agree with you. But it's a true story. And this is what the Bible says. Proverbs 22, 22 to 23 says, Don't rob the poor because he's poor. Or crush the afflicted at the gates. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Again, God takes seriously the plight of the poor. Jesus Christ was born, God took on human flesh. He was born into the human race, born of a virgin called Mary. And he lived in a, he born in Bethlehem and grew up in a town called Nazareth. His dad was Joseph. Well, he wasn't his real dad because God put him in the womb. And Joseph, his adopted dad, you could say, raised him well. He taught him a trade. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a worker man. He understood hard graft, right? He wasn't a kind of slightly effeminate guy with flowing hair and sandals kind of flowing around blessing people. That wasn't Jesus. No, no. Jesus was a butch workman. He worked in building sites, right? Kind of the guys who float around work, work sites, right? They get decked. <laughs> Jesus could handle himself. I'm serious. Serious. I, I honestly think Jesus was buff, really. Jesus was a workman. And then at some point in his teenage years, the Bible doesn't talk about it, but his dad died, right? He understood what it was to lose his earthly dad. His dad died. Now, Jesus was the firstborn in that house. He had many brothers and sisters. But at that moment, Jesus took up the reins of the family. He took responsibility as the firstborn in that home. It's called Locus imperentus, which is Latin for in the place of father. And Jesus took up the reins of that home and he provided for his own. 
And he cared for his own. He cared for his mum. He cared for his siblings. And he did everything he could for his family. And James, who was one of Jesus' brothers, who during Jesus' lifetime didn't really believe he was the Messiah. But after the resurrection, it was pretty convincing. (laughs) Oh, you died and rose again. I believe you now. And James went on to become one of the key leaders in the early church. And he wrote the book of James. And in the book of James, and I think in his mind as he wrote this, he was thinking of his brother Jesus. The Lord. James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He said, do you know what? If you want to be religious, this is what God requires of you. That you care for the widows and the orphans of this world. The people who just had the carpet swept from under their feet, they have lost this security. And where did he get this philosophy in life from? His elder brother, Jesus Christ. Because he saw how Jesus personally took responsibility for that home and said, you know what, mom and brothers, I'm going to work hard at work. I'm going to work well. I'm going to work with integrity. I'm going to do hard day's work. I'm going to earn the cash to put the food on the table. And so we've got more to help and share with our neighbors as well. Jesus Christ took responsibility for his family. Jesus Christ cared for the the plight of the needy. God Almighty took on human flesh. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, cared for the poor. Personally, he cared for the poor. God thinks a lot about the poor. What are the solutions to poverty? Well, I've got three for you, and then I'll close. Number one, true prosperity is a solution for poverty. True prosperity. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What an incredible mandate from God. God takes a hold of this old codger called Abraham. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to raise up a nation from your loins. And do you know what? I'm going to really bless you. I'm going to make you great. And you will become a blessing. And isn't that an awesome picture of true prosperity? You see, many Christians don't like this word prosperity. The problem is, the word occurs many times in the Bible. The problem you've got is your definition of prosperity. The, many, the reason many Christians are all uptight and they send shivers down is don't mention prosperity in church. Well, why not? The Bible mentions it. Right? The reason you've got a problem with it is you've had a wrong definition of it. You've allowed the world to define the words rather than the words to define the word. And God's word's definition of prosperity is entirely different from the world's definition of prosperity. The world's definition of prosperity is get, get, get. Take, take, take. Hoard, hoard, hoard. The word's definition of prosperity is give, give, give. Be blessed and be a blessing. Oh, be blessed. Oh, thank you, God. And then give it away. Whoa, isn't that exciting? God wants to lavish in your life, in every aspect of life. Beloved, I pray in, the, in all respects, according to 3 John verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray in all respects, you will prosper and be in good health. In all respects. Every aspect of life. God wants to prosper you with friendships, prosper you financially, prosper you with belongings, prosper you with food on your table, prosper you with skills and abilities. Why? so that you can share them with others. And you can enjoy them yourself. See, your definition of prosperity is, oh, get the big car, the big house, the title. That's not what Christianity is about. I agree with you, it's not. 
But God has no problem with blessing you if your agenda is to bless someone else. As you are a river rather than a swamp. A swamp is where water comes in and nothing flows out. You stinketh. A river is when water flows in and water flows out. Water flows in and water flows out. See, was Mother Teresa a rich woman? Or a poor woman? Who thinks she was rich? Who thinks she was poor? Did you know that in Mother Teresa's lifetime, billions of pounds went through her hands? She was an incredibly wealthy woman. She was up there with the wealthiest of this world. It's just that she was a very fast-flowing river. God has no problem with you having a nice car. God has no problem with you having belongings. The Bible says he gives you all things richly to enjoy. Talking about finances. But he has a problem if it stops with you. He has a problem if you're a swamp. God loves it when we're rivers. And you see, do you know what God's looking for? God's looking for churches to emerge who have a true prosperity ethic. Where the people of God are working really hard at work that their agenda in life isn't to get, get, get. Their agenda in life is to give, give, give. And they're working hard, and they're generous, and they're caring for others, and they're making a difference. My dream as a church, that as a church, financially as a church, we prosper. I said in previous years we've given tens of thousands away. You know what my dream is? My dream, in a place like Edinburgh, my dream is this, that we can get to a place where we're so financially robust as a church, where we're paying our staff well, we were able to do all this stuff locally, but way over and above that, we're able to be a river that literally gives millions upon millions upon millions from this wealthy city to other parts of the world where there's desperate need. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, it's possible. So you've got to work hard, have a good work ethic, believe God, be a giver. And as you do that, prosperity will flow. We can make an impact. I believe one of the great solutions to poverty is true prosperity. Proverbs 28, verse 27 says, He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. Proverbs 22, verse 9, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Proverbs 28, verse 8, He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. That's an awesome thought. Here's another solution to poverty. Equality and justice. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 20 to 21, the poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Proverbs 19, 4 to 7, sorry, 4 and 7, it says, wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friends. All the brothers of the poor man hate him, But how much more will his friends abandon him? He pursues them with his words, but they're gone. Here's the problem. We favor the rich. We hang out with those we think we can get things from. We make our friends, we spend our time, we take our interests in those who we want to get something out of. Rather than actually just saying, you're a human being, I love you. You're a human being, I love you. You're a human being, I love you. It's nothing to do with what you can get out of people. It's what you can give in to people. And God desires equality. No favoritism, no racism, no prejudice. And do you know what happens in church? Some of you just hang out with people like you. Some of you just hang out with people who are in the same social scale as you or have got the same kind of background as you. You're racist. Deal with your attitudes. Hang out with people who are not like you. Be a friend to someone who's totally not like you. 
Go out, go out of your comfort zone sometimes. Break your little cliques. Hi, go and say hi to a visitor. That's a revolutionary idea. Right? Visitors, welcome. If you didn't get welcome tonight, you, tell, you grass up those people who didn't. That person didn't welcome me. Now you go and tell me. I'll deck them and say, you racist individual. <laughs> go and be a friend to them. Right? I'm serious. God wants his church to have equality where we actually genuinely care for other people in the congregation. God sees all men as equal. Proverbs 22 verse 2 says, The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. And thirdly, here's the biggest solution to the poverty issue in the world. It's called the gospel. It means good news. You see, the root of all poverty, the root of all the problems in the world, isn't the government, it's not your parents, it's not your addictions, it's sin. And it's in everyone. It's the biggie. Sin is rotten. Sin is the thing that set the world off this axis and caused this planet to be cracked with earthquakes, disasters. Sin is the thing that caused mankind in the beginning to break our relationship with God. We turned our backs on God thinking we were good enough without him. We basically made ourselves our own gods. We tried to take responsibility for ourselves and ignored God. And sin entered the world. And ever since then, this world has been off its axis. There's been disasters and suffering and injustices and ruin. Sin is the root of all the problems in mankind. You and I are sinners. We're part of the problem. But Jesus Christ, he was born without sin, he lived without sin, and he died on the cross, the only one who could have, without sin on behalf of a sinful world. Only a man without sin could die on behalf of the human race with sin. And he was the ultimate sacrifice for us sinners. Without him, we're bound to go to hell forever. But Jesus died so you wouldn't need to. So come to him. He can forgive you for your sins right now, right in this moment. Wipe it clean. Deal with the biggest problem. The cause of all the poverty, right in here. He will deal with it. So allow Jesus Christ to come into your heart. That's the good news. The good news starts with the bad news that we're sinners. But the good news is that Jesus, who wasn't a sinner, died on behalf of us sinners so that we could be forgiven. That's good news. And it deals with ultimate poverty. You see, God did this to express love. Only a loving God would put himself through the suffering of the cross on behalf of a world who didn't want him. This world was well turning their backs on God. We were cursing him. We were using him as a swear word. We were blaming him when things went wrong, even though we were not acknowledging our own problems. Yet the same God decided, I'm going to love them nevertheless. And God in his love intervenes. Mother Teresa said, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that's much greater hunger. That is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than a person who has nothing to eat. The fact is, the human race has great poverty. You may have money in your bank, but still be very poor. Because poverty ultimately is a spiritual condition. And it starts with sin. And God wants to make you rich on the inside. He wants to forgive you your sin and give you a whole new start because he loves you. He wants to let you know that he loves you. He wants to embrace you as his children. He wants to accept you back to the relationship that you were born to have in the first place. So don't be reluctant. Run to him. Run to him holding nothing back. Come to your savior. Patrick Dixon, who was with us a few months back, 
Patrick Dixon heads up an AIDS organization called Asset, where they go and help people in countries where there isn't much support for people who are suffering with AIDS. In the United Kingdom, if you have AIDS, there are enough drugs and so on available and treatments that actually your life can go on pretty much unaltered. You can continue for many, many years. Many years. But in some parts of the world, while the treatments are out there, they're not available locally. And many people are suffering greatly and dying because of this horrendous disease. Patrick Dixon, this awesome Christian guy, maybe some of you remember when he spoke here. He's got this AIDS organization called Asset, and they go out and they help people who are suffering with AIDS. And uh, he was telling me a story about how when he, one day he was in, I think it was some old part of Russia, and there was a guy there who was an atheist, and he was suffering of AIDS because of his homosexual past. And Patrick had become his good friends, and he was getting treatment at one of Patrick's centers. And Patrick took a lot of time sharing with him about how God loved you that much. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and rise again. He shared the gospel just like I did with you a moment ago. He shared this message of God's love. The guy wasn't interested, but he was nevertheless a friend of Patrick's. They hung out, they talked, they debated it much. He shared it constantly with him, but the guy wasn't interested. But nevertheless, he was a friend. Patrick obviously travels around the place and he went back to that particular place and he he couldn't find his friends. He didn't see him for many months, to be honest, and he assumed that he had moved away somewhere and without treatment, he was most likely dead. Then out of the blue one day, he got a phone call and it was this guy. And he said, Patrick, I'm funny to tell you the good news. I've become a Christian. Patrick said, that's great news. How did that happen? And he said that I'd moved home to be near my family. I got an infection and I felt it go really deep. And I started declining rapidly. I was rushed into the local hospital and I was lying there on bed and I felt myself fading away and I went into unconsciousness. I was literally in limbo between life and death. In that moment, as I was at the brink of death, I remembered the words you'd shared with me about Jesus and about how Jesus had come and died on the cross so I could be forgiven. The reality of it all hit me. I was lost and going nowhere. In those moments, the words you spoke were echoing around my soul. I grasped hold of Jesus Christ. I asked his forgiveness. And then I revived. I woke up and the first thing I said to the the nurse was, is there a church near here? I got involved in the local church. I've been there three months now, Patrick. I'm loving God. My life has changed. Within a few weeks of that phone call, the guy died. But wasn't it nice that God allowed him to revive so that Patrick could hear that the words that he had spoken had made an effect. I wonder how many people have heard the words and we think they never got it, but they never revived to tell us, we got it. We might meet them there. There's a thought. God loves you. He really does. And God cares for you. And the biggest poverty is people who don't know him. Let me end with this. In 1928, a group of the world's most famous financiers met in the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The following were present. The president of the largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the head of the world's greatest monopoly. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than was in the U.S. Treasury. 
For years, the newspapers and magazines had been painting their success stories, urging young people to be like them. 25 years later, here's where they were all at. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died broke. The greatest sweet speculator, Arthur Cotton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitley, served a term in Sing Sing Prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Liverman, committed suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fraser, committed suicide. The head of the world's largest monopoly, Ivor Druger, committed suicide. All these men had learned how to make money, but they hadn't learned how to live. The Bible says, Proverbs 15, verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. True prosperity is a relationship with God. True poverty is not having God. We've got to do everything we can for physical poverty, but we've also got to do everything we can for the root of it all, spiritual poverty. So let's be proactive. And tonight, if you know that you and God are not connected, tonight's your night. Why not make the best decision you have ever made and give your life to the God who gave you life? Give your life to the one who loves you so much. Ask his forgiveness. Commit yourself to him and he will accept you forever. You'll be a new person. Let's pray. Take a moment to pray back your response to God. Maybe you feel provoked by something that's been said or stirred by a particular aspect of what we looked at tonight. Take a moment to make some decisions before God about what you're going to do, how you're going to live differently. God, I thank you that you're a God who is seriously interested in justice. You're against injustice. You love the poor. You take their plight personally. And Lord God, you demonstrated that when you came onto this earth, Jesus Christ, you loved your family. And furthermore, you gave money to the poor. And you touched those that no one else would touch. You showed no favoritism. You loved. You demonstrated what humanity should be like. God, our desire is to be like you. Our desire is to be generous, to share, to love, to give our time, our money, our commitment to making a difference in our culture, to deal with, with the poverty issue. God, thank you for every one of my friends present here today. I pray that as a church, and maybe if there's other churches represented, that their churches too, that we would do collectively whatever we can do to change statistics in Edinburgh. And God, I pray that in the years to come, from this congregation, from other congregations in this city, we can literally give millions upon millions of pounds to resource those who are making a difference with the poorest of the poor around the world, as well as meeting local need, eradicating poverty and the root of poverty in our city and in our culture. In Jesus' name, enable us, empower us. I pray for Jude and all the endeavors that she's involved with. I ask that we will get behind her and that we will get involved and we will do whatever we can do to do work touching people's lives, one life at a time, denting away at the big problem, the global problem, the generational problem, the problem of poverty. In our generation, God, we're going to do what we can do, one life at a time. 
Okay, keep praying. Maybe some of you here, you know that you and God are not connected. You know that you haven't experienced God's total forgiveness. You've heard that God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you, but you've never personally accepted that. You've never personally said, okay, Jesus, I accept that. Why not tonight? Why not make that decision tonight? It, it is the, it's a big decision. It shouldn't be taken lightly. But it is the best decision. It doesn't mean that life will be easy necessarily, but it will be awesome. Because you and God will be connected. And that when you die, you will live with him forever. And moreover, he will give you his love and your, his power to empower you to live a life and make a difference on earth. Why not give your life to him? It's what you were born to do. Come to the God who made you. Commit yourself to him. Pledge your allegiance to him. I'm not talking about becoming a member of this church. I'm talking about you getting it together with God from here on. So tonight, if that's you and you're saying, Peter, I want to dedicate my life and my future to God. I want to choose to live for him. I want to ask his forgiveness for my sins. I want to accept Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. If that's you, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. And this will be your opportunity in this prayer to dedicate your life to him. So if that's you, pray this prayer quietly with me. Repeat it after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you that you love me. And thank you you sent Jesus as a demonstration of your love. And Jesus, you came and you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood so I could be forgiven. You died to deal with the root problem that's in me, sin. And right now I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I need you, my Savior, to forgive me. Please forgive me. Thank you. Jesus, I believe that on the third day, having died on the cross, I believe that you rose again. I believe that you're alive now. And right now, I commit my life, my entire life to you. I choose today to become your follower. Thank you. I make you Lord. I make you boss. I put you first. Thanks for hearing my prayer. Thank you for accepting me today as your child. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. Just for a moment, I'm going to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer just there. If you just prayed that prayer with me, if you made that commitment in your heart, I would love the privilege of praying for you and asking God to bless you as you embark on this new life. I'm going to ask you to do this very simple thing. If you prayed that prayer, I just want you to very simply indicate who you are before I pray so I know who I'm praying for. Can you quickly just raise your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. You made that commitment. Just quickly put your hand up. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. Thank you. God, thanks for my friends tonight. They've made a great decision. They've chosen to follow you. And I pray that from this day forward, their life will change by your power. That you do such a deep work in them. That they'll be changed from the inside out. That they'll grow in their faith. 
grow more and more in love with you. They become part of the answer in this world rather than the problem. Thank you, God, that they've chosen today to follow you. Thank you, the Bible promises that they now have eternal life. That as they've asked forgiveness for sins, you've granted it. I ask you, God, help them now to get involved in a good church where they can grow in their faith and take good steps forward in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. You know, those people who put their hands up at the end, um, you've just done an awesome thing. God has totally heard your prayer. You're now his. That's a really good place to be. And this is what I'd encourage you. Get involved in a great church. If you don't already have a church you go to, come along here. Get connected, either here or in Gorgie in the morning. Get connected. And that being part of a church will help you grow in your faith and take good steps forward. This is the beginning of an awesome life. Now take good steps forward. Before you go, I'm going to get one of my prayer partners to come and pray with each one of you. Put your hands up there. Uh, Come forwards to the front and one of my prayer partners will pray with you, okay? So what we're going to do is let's all stand to our feet. We're going to worship God.